is where we hold them. This is where we fight. This is where they die. You've reached WDUG on your podcast dial. Hi, everybody. Harry Carey here. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. So I kind of wanted to double preface this um, special investigation uh, for one of our patriots. Um, preface it by first stating, um, I am in no way an anti-vax person. I was not raised to be that way. I fully believe in vaccines, and I, I genuinely do. Um, as a matter of fact, for a um, job that I recently got, which was exciting, um, I had to do um, another set of my MMRs, which was surprising to me, um, but that's okay. I got them. Um, I'm actually kind of happy that I did. I feel even a little bit safer. Um, I think the old school vaccines are a wonderful thing and have saved countless millions of lives and I, and made just as many more um, lives better, uh, healthier, safer. Um, it's actually, I would say, the number one reason why the world population is now pushing 8 billion people. It's due to vaccines. Um, the world for really up until the 20th century was a very hard place to live in, to, to continue to live in. Um, it's interesting that in ancient Greece, and it would follow for Rome and, you know, other ancient cultures, uh, it, if you start reading history, you'll notice um, pretty quickly that many of the ancient writers, uh, like great politicians, orators, um, generals, would very playwrights often um, live to be well into their 80s, 90s. And you go, my God, how is that possible? You know, the, the, the average life expectancy up until relatively recently was in the mid third, uh, like about 35, 38. 40 right around in there um but the reason why that is is that your chances to make it out of childhood were no better than 50 50 uh it's a it was a brutal existence um as far as diseases go um so once they had lived through all the horrors of, I mean, we think of like chicken pox as being a horror, um, but it's, you know, relatively, it's pretty benign. And now we even vaccinate for chicken pox. I keep getting these weird little bleeping sounds in my headphones. I'm sorry. But um, back on that. Anyway, so I'm not an anti-vax person. I believe in them. They have done wonderful things. However, what I'm going to be discussing here shortly about the Jim Jones Guyana um, Kool-Aid, where 
were drinking the Kool-Aid, um, how that came into popular parlance. Uh, um, it It's going to all tie in together about what's happening with the vaccine, vac- vaccine now for COVID-19. Um, and I'm going to read this to you. This comes from the um, former Pfizer chief scientific officer on experimental COVID injections. Um, it's a man named Mike Yeadon, or Yeadon, Y-E-A-D-O-N. Um, I am firmly against this vaccine. I think it's extremely dangerous. We don't know what is going to happen uh, when you start changing our DNA. Um, past vaccines have always given us a little dose, a, a, a little tiny amount of the actual disease and forced our body um, to fight against it and build up a resistance, a tolerance, a, a, like know how to attack it. Ooh, I defeated that. You'll never get it again, right? This is not that. This is wholly different. So Mike Eden is a scientist who is familiar to regular readers of Health Impact News. I'm going to skip past this. Um, so in this uh, recent interview, he said, I am well aware of the global crimes against humanity being perpetrated against a large proportion of the world's population. I feel great fear, but I'm not deterred from giving expert testimony to multiple groups of able lawyers like Rocco Galati in Canada and Reiner Fulmich in Germany. I have absolutely no doubt that we are in the presence of evil, not a determination I've ever made before in a 40-year research career and dangerous products. In the UK, it's abundantly clear that the authorities are bent on a course which will result in administering vaccines to as many people of the population as they can. This is madness, because even if these agents were legitimate, protection is needed only by those at notably elevated risk of death from the virus. In those people, there might even be an argument that the risks are worth bearing, and there definitely are risks which I would call uh, mechanistic, inbuilt in the way they work. But all the other people, those in good health and younger than 60 years, perhaps a little older, they don't perish from the virus. In this large group, it's wholly unethical to administer something novel and for which the potential for unwanted effects after a few months is completely uncharacterized. You keep in mind, a few months there's other researchers that are very, very fearful that we will start seeing this in about a year to two years. Um, and it's going to look very, very similar to mad gal disease. Um, you uh, lose your ability to even understand who you are. You shake violently, you, you have spasms, and then you die. And uh, watch for that, but I digress. In no other would it be wise to do what is stated as the intention. Since I know this with certainty, and I know those driving it know this too, we have to inquire, what is their motive? While I don't know, I have strong theoretical answers, only one of which relates to money, and that motive doesn't work because the same quantum can be arrived at by doubling the unit cost and giving the agent to half as many people. Dilemma solved. So it's something else. 
Appreciating that by entire population, it is also intended that minor children and eventually babies are to be included in the net, and that's what I interpret to be an evil act. There is no medical rationale for it, knowing as I do that the design of these vaccines results in the expression in the bodies of recipients, expression of the spike protein, which has adverse biological effects of its own, which in some people are harmful, initiating blood coagulation and activating the immune complement system. I'm determined to point out that those not at risk from this virus should not be exposed to the risk of unwanted effects from these agents. You know, before I forget, part of this uh, has to do with the um, like video um, podcast. I'm not sure exactly what it was from potential gubernatorial candidate um, Scott Jansen. Uh, and that's what got a few of the patriots here wondering about what drinking the Kool-Aid means because he referenced that and um, he referenced it. um, Basically the implication is that he was talking about people blindly taking these vaccines, but the way that he referenced it, he could have also been just talking about how the populace has blindly follow these bizarro world COVID guidelines, wearing masks, uh, like draconian lockdowns in many states. Um, You know, kids still aren't in school. And uh, so I just didn't want to forget about that. So sorry, I double digress. So the Israeli Supreme Court decision last week canceling COVID flight restrictions said in the future, any new restrictions on travel into or out of Israel needs, in legal terms, a comprehensive factual data-based foundation. Um, so in a talk, oh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of, this is going back and forth with questions, but um, he, the doctor said the most likely duration of immunity to a respiratory varvet virus like SARS-CoV-2 is multiple multiple years. Why do I say that? We actually have the data for a virus that swept through parts of the world 17 years ago called SARS. A lot of us remember this. And remember SARS-CoV-2 is 80% similar to SARS. So I think that's the best comparison that anyone can provide. And SARS, other than like in uh, parts of like Southeast Asia, was a nothing it was a nothing burger. It was no event at all. Uh, it was a lot like what the media, the leftist mainstream media has been doing and continues to do now coming out with that. There's going to be a fourth wave. I missed the second and third wave, by the way, of a mutated mutant virus that's going to hit that's going to be far worse than the uh, previous three passes. So they drum up this fear, and so many people are just so fearful of everything, deeply fearful. So it doesn't take a lot. But anyway, he says the evidence is clear. These very clever cellular uh, doctors, I'll just say, studied all the people they could get a hold of who had survived SARS 17 years ago. They took a blood sample, and they tested whether they responded or not to the original SARS. And they all did. They all had perfectly normal, robust T-cell memory. They were actually also protected against SARS-CoV-2 because they're so similar, it's cross-immunity. 
So I would say the best data that exists is that immunity should be robust for at least 17 years. I think it's entirely possible that it's lifelong. The style of the responses of these people's T cells were the same as if you if you'd been vaccinated, and then you come back years later to see um, that the immunity has been retained. So I think the evidence is really strong that the duration of immunity will be multiple years and possibly lifelong. Um, and he has another question. He says, Dr. Yaden's reply was, what I outlined in relation to immunity to SARS is precisely what we're seeing in the SARS COVID-2. The study is from one of the best labs in their field. So Theoretically, people could test their T-cell immunity by measuring the responses of cells in a small sample of their blood. There are such tests. They are not high um, throughput, and they are likely to cost a few hundred U United States dollars, but not thousands. The test I'm aware of is not yet commercially avail available. Uh, you can only get it um, through research in the UK. However, I expect the company could be induced to provide test kits for research on scale subject to an ag agreement. So he's ta just talking about the testing of it. So in uh, a question um, about super variants, my understanding of a leaky vaccine, um, and he'll explain this as we go through, is that it only lessens symptoms in the vaccinated but does not stop transmission. It therefore allows the spread of what then becomes a more deadly virus. For instance, um, the Argentinian president who had been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, now just tested positive again for COVID. That was two months ago that he got vaccinated. For example, in China, they deliberately used leaky avian flu vaccines to quickly cull flocks of chicken because the unvaccinated die within three days. In Merrick's disease, from which they needed to save all the chickens, the only solution was to vaccinate 100% of the flock because all unvaccinated were at high risk of death. So how a leaky vax is utilized is intention-driven. That is, it is possible that the intent can be to cause great harm to the unvaccinated. Stronger strains usually would not propagate through a population because they kill the host too rapidly. But if the vaccinated experience only less serious disease, then they spread these strains to the unvaccinated who contract serious disease and die. Do you agree with this assessment? Furthermore, do you agree that if the unvaccinated become this? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This, that was the question. I'm sorry, you guys. I wish I could go back and delete all that. This is his reply to that question, um, being concerned about a super variant. There is no evidence at all that vaccination is leading or will lead to dangerous variants. I'm worried that it's some kind of trick. And this is what I really wanted to get to. As a general rule, variants form very often, routinely, and tend to become less dangerous and more infectious over time as it comes to equilibrium within its human host. Variants generally don't become more dangerous. No variant differs from the original sequence by more than 0.3%. In other words, all variants are at least 99.7% identical to the Wuhan sequence. They're the same. It's a fiction and an evil one at that, that variants are likely to escape immunity. Not only is it intrinsically unlikely, because this degree of similarity of variants means zero chance that an immune person, whether from natural infection or from vaccination, will be made ill by a variant but it's empirically supported by high quality research. 
the research I refer to shows that people re recovering from infection or who have been vaccinated all have a wide range of immune cells which recognize all the variants. This paper shows why the extensive molecular recognition by the immune system makes the tiny changes in variants irrelevant. I cannot say strongly enough, the stories around variants and need for top-up vaccines are false. I'm concerned there is a very malign reason behind all of this. It is certainly not backed up by the best ways to look at immunity. The claims always lack substance when examined and utilize various tricks, like manipulating conditions for testing the effectiveness of antibodies. Antibodies are probably rather unimportant in host protection against a virus. There have been a few natural experiments. experiments. People who unfortunately cannot make antibodies yet are able to quite success, sec, successfully repel the virus. They definitely are better off with antibodies than without. I mention these rare patients because they show that antibodies are not essential to host immunity. So some contrived tests in a lab of antibodies and engineered variant viruses do not justify need for top-up vaccines. The only people who might remain vulnerable and need prophylaxis or treatment are those who are elderly and or ill and do not wish to receive a vaccine. The good news is there's multiple choices available. Hydroxychloroquine, uh, Invermestin, inver I always say it wrong, and I was a pharmacy tech. Anyway, all the ones we know, oral vitamin D, zinc, azithromycin, that reduces severity to such an extent that this virus does not need to become a public health crisis. Until recently, I had high regard for global medicine regulators, which I was in Pfizer and later CEO of a biotech I founded. Always good quality interactions. Recently, I noticed that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, this is very important too, had made a grant to the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, MHRA. Can that ever be appropriate? They're funded by public money. They should never accept money from a private body. So here is an example where the UK regulator has a clear conflict of interest. The European Medicines Agency failed to require certain things as to close in the hack of their files while, while reviewing the Pfizer vaccine. So I no longer believe the regulators are capable of protecting us. Approval is therefore meaningless. Let that sink in, like what this guy is saying. This is, his, this is what he does. This has been his life. He's like 70 years old. So again, I no longer believe the regulators are capable of protecting us. It's not even a matter. They don't even have to have evil intentions. They just can't do anything. Approval is therefore meaningless. Dr. Wolfgang Wodarg and I petitioned the EMA December 1st, 2020 on the genetic vaccines, which this is what these are. They ignored us. Recently, we wrote privately to them warning of blood clots, which has been a serious problem that's been cropping up. They ignored us. When we went public with our letter, we were completely censored. Days later, more than 10 countries paused use of a vaccine, citing blood clots. I think the big money of pharma plus cash um, from BMGF creates the environment where saying no just isn't an option for the regulator. I must return to the issue of top-up vaccines. These are booster shots. Something Dr. Fauci just came out and said, oh, I think we might have to have a booster shot every single year.
And it is this whole narrative which I feel will be exploited and used to gain unparalleled power over us. This is where Scott Jansen and the Kool-Aid and Jim Jones comes in. Please warn every person not to go near top-up vaccines. There is absolutely no need to and for them. As there's no need for them, yet they're being made in pharma and regulators have stood aside with no safety testing, I can only deduce they will be used for nefarious purposes. For example, if someone wished to harm or kill a significant proportion of the world's population over the next few years, the systems being put in place right now will enable it. It's my considered view that it is entirely possible that this will be used for massive-scale depopulation. Yeah. And he's not the only one saying this. Now, I want to leave you with something before we hop into the main question part of the show. Um, Bill Gates, if anyone has been reading about this, um, I try to stay away from, um, and I hate the word conspiracy, but conspiracy type stuff, because you, I like for a brain like mine, I can get bogged down in it for hours and feel like I went like, you know, I didn't, I don't even know what I did for the last, you know, five or six or seven hours, you know, um, it's probably worse for me, but Bill Gates keeps popping up and Bill Gates now has for at least the last 15 years been heavily pushing the climate hysteria and has multiple times gone on record. And I'm not talking about like caught on, you know, like people, you know, hearing something from someone that talked with a friend of Bill Gates. Like these are like, you can find these videotapes. If I uh, was sophisticated enough, I would include um, his own narrative in this podcast, but I, I don't know how to do that, but you can look it up. Bill Gates has consistently said for at least the last 15 years that what the, the only way that the earth can be saved is to have 90 to 95% of the global population eliminated. He's very open about this. And in a way, I guess, honest. I mean, if that's the way that you view the world and humans. Now, if he believes this and is the number one pusher of climate hysteria and has funneled untold billions of dollars into this hysteria, Ask yourself then why he is also the leading donor to around around the globe, again, giving billions of dollars into for research grants um, for vaccines, to push vaccine initiatives. You can't have one or the other to believe entirely in one or the other. That's why I started out saying um, what a wonderful thing vaccines have been for humans. Just wonderful. The the number one cause uh, for global population, um, you know, just skyrocketing uh, over the last century. And then on the other hand, say we must wipe out nine or more out of every 10 people on the face of the earth to save the earth from humans. You, like you can't have both of these things. 
And you, you can't spend billions of dollars on both of these things. One of them does not fit with the other. So I, I mean, something is going horribly, horribly wrong here. I never thought I would say this, especially about vaccines. But that's the crosswords we're at. Uh, we'll have a quick message from Saturday Night Live. And um, I don't know. I, uh, you know, I hope that I didn't get too long-winded there, but I think it's really important. We'll be right back. There's a serious problem afflicting a generation of women. And if not treated early on, it will only get worse as you grow older. Really cool lower back tattoos. It seemed like such a good idea at the time, didn't it? Hello, I'm Dr. Edward Turlington. The studies show that next to smoking and having sex, getting a lower back tattoo is the best thing a young woman can do to be cool. And you ladies were cool. But now look at you. Let's face it. You're not young anymore. You're not even close. That's why you need Turlington's Lower Back Tattoo Remover. Look, here's a really cool lower back tattoo on an attractive 20-year-old girl. Now watch what happens to that tattoo when that young girl becomes a 65-year-old woman. Pretty sad indeed. That's why I developed Turlington's Lower Back Tattoo Remover. Just apply once, every hour, for 72 straight hours and watch that tattoo slowly burn away Mother that tingling means it's working soon enough that silly mistake will be long gone and that slight discoloration will be the only thing to remind you of that crazy weekend in Jamaica well maybe not the only thing <laughs> Turlington's lower back tattoo because it won't be cool forever and we're back. I hope you enjoyed uh, the our message from Saturday Night Live. They're always quite humorous. Uh, quick note, um, just doing a little checking over the break. This is very interesting to me. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation um, created a new task group. This is brand new called the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, the CEPI, uh, in 2017. Um, it's a global group tasked with more quickly developing vaccines against infectious disease threats worldwide. The Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, funded with an initial investment of $416 million dollars, aims to develop vaccines known against infectious disease threats that could be deployed quickly to contain outbreaks before they become global health emergencies. The group said in a statement at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Um, so that was launched in 2017 and has been endowed with billions of dollars. Gates has put at least $250 million of his own towards COVID-19. Biologics, biologics, biologics. And so it's just something to keep in mind. He's also the um, largest owner 
of the Canadian railway system. He literally controls the railroads in Canada. But you might go, why would that worry us? Well, Canada is one of the breadbaskets of the American continent. And uh, the Canadian railroads, most people don't know, a lot of them um, can are like are owned and controlled by uh, like Canadian railroads um, control, operate many railroads going into the United States, controls huge areas of our food distribution network. Also, he's the largest single owner of farmland. And not just land, actual farmland in the United States. By like a lot. Something to keep in mind. Anyway, so one of the Patriots was wondering about the Kool-Aid and where that came in to play. Popular parlance. So here's, because I'm feeling particularly conspiracy-minded uh, this evening, um, here is the official story or like a uh, official story. Um, that's like, I guess, generally accepted in history books. Um, so uh, it was uh, called the Jonestown Massacre. Um, it occurred on November 18th, 1978. Um, more than 900 members um, of what was deemed a cult uh, called the People's Temple, died in a mass um, suicide murder um, under the direction of their leader, uh, like Messiah-like figure, Jim Jones. Yeah, it took place at the so-called Jamestown, or excuse me, Jonestown Settlement. Uh, there's a, actually a Johnstown as well um, in Guyana, which is like in the north um, eastern uh, part of South America. Um, it's right by, uh, Venezuela. Um, so, um, it's just like a small little sliver of a country. Um, Jones had founded what became the people's temple in Indiana in the 1950s, then relocated his congregation to California in the 1960s. In the 1970s, following negative media attention, the powerful, controlling pre preacher moved with some 1,000 of his followers uh, to the Guy Guyanese jungle, where he wanted to establish a utopian community, a communist, like a perfect communist utopian community. Uh, however, um, People within the government started becoming a little leery of this, um, particularly a U.S. representative from California named Leo Ryan. Um, he became very, very concerned and actually traveled down to Jonestown um, to investigate um, the numerous claims of abuse. Um, I mean, on every level that you could imagine abuse. Uh, he was murdered along with four, um, like cameramen, uh, journalists that went along with him, uh, in cold blood. It was filmed. You can find that, um, online. I'm sure too. He was gunned down on, um, this, uh, like airport, like runway. It's quite horrific. Uh, later that day, uh, 
Jones ordered his followers to ingest poison-laced punch, or Kool-Aid, in air quotes, while armed guards stood by. So that's where you get drinking the Kool-Aid, mindlessly following the dictates of a power-mad, insane individual um, to the point of ingesting poison that the the story goes they knew it was poison and they still did it because they just believed in him and his word so much um it, it's starting to kind of evolve into being like a terrorist um like an example of terrorism i don't like that um but um, so now Jim Jones is a very interesting character. And uh, I found this research that this individual has done to be quite interesting. Um, and I'll try to add in notes here um, as we go along. But I'm going to read you this. This comes... Um, from Howard Nima. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to get back to the top of the story um, because it's it's absolutely fascinating and anyone interested, and I know there's a couple of patriots out there that uh, are interested in like the deeper history um, that you wouldn't get in like your standard textbook. Um, so the Reverend Jim Jones of the People's Temple was a CIA operative conducting mind control experiment in the jungles of South America. Now, before you snicker and go up, oh, I'm going to fast forward through this. Just hear me out because um, it's, it's fascinating and I believe it's true. Um, so uh, on November 18th, 2015, it'll be 37 years since the CIA cover story concerning Reverend Jim Jones, People's Temple, and the tragic events in Jonestown, Guyana began permeating our culture. But the real true horrors of Jonestown and the CIA Operation MK Ultra have been omitted, intentionally thrown down the memory hole of history. Now, MK Ultra is fascinating, and the story will go into this a little bit, but um, that was a mind control experiment that had morphed into MK Ultra and is has long um, been openly admitted to and acknowledged by the U.S. government. This is not conspiracy. This is one hundred percent true. Uh, if you look up MK Ultra, I'm sure Google probably has. I'm not even joking. A million hits on it. It's it's true, and it was a real thing. Uh, and, and a lot of people draw parallels, um, between a number of very strange assassinations that occurred, not just in the United States, uh, like, uh, Kennedy, MLK, uh, both Kennedy brothers, I should say. Um, and then this goes into this, but also the world. Um, so let's continue. The connections and similarities between the techniques used by the CIA under MKUltra and the horrors committed by Jim Jones are undeniable. In fact, they are literally cut from the same cloth. Reverend Jim Jones was stitched together by the CIA, which was not uncommon um, in the 50s and 60s, 
Interestingly, in 1977, a year before Jonestown, congressional hearings on CIA Project MKUltra were conducted. Huge hearings, well known. Of course, after the tragedy of November 18, 1978, the obvious connection between Jonestown and MKUltra was not investigated, at least on the surface. Jim Jones was painted in the media as a lunatic cult leader, and that was that. There is much more to it. CIA, uh, CIA Project MKUltra and the action of Jim Jones are inexorably linked. The myth of a mass suicide and religious frenzy is nothing less than a fabricated fishtail. Uh, and it's true, and I think you're going to start hearing me kind of use this quote, and it comes from an absolutely horrible person. But um, Joseph Goebbels uh, said about a lie that if you say a lie once, it's a lie. But if you keep telling a big, big lie, if you tell a small lie and you just kind of tell it once, it's a lie. But if you, if you tell the big lie and you keep repeating it and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. So the lie, you know, can only be maintained for... Um, such time, like as long as like in this case, a state uh, can keep shielding the people from reality. But in our case, even though everybody that has ever heard of MKUltra knows it's 100% true, um, I think our state is still shielding from us. You know, everyone should know about these things. Uh so, but so back to Jonestown. In 1977, it was revealed that random American citizens were abducted and tortured for research by the CIA. Project MK Ultra was the code name for a series of covert activities beginning in the early 1950s, similar similarly to those that occurred in Jonestown. Following the defeat of Germany in 1945, the predecessor to the CIA, the OSS, uh, the Office of Strategic Services recruited Nazi doctors and scientists for employment by the United States under the directions and supervision of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, those included all of the major scientists that ended up making up NASA. Werner von Braun, uh, who is the father of NASA, openly acknowledged as um, was a Nazi scientist, uh, actually came up with um the rockets uh wow, what were they called the um the uh the v v1 v2s v2 rockets uh they were the first um like ballistic missiles uh, ever created uh, they would shoot them off towards england in the later stages of the war um creating real pandemonium and terror um but he created those. Um, Einstein would have been one of them as well, but he escaped. Well, actually, he probably would have been killed, but if he had been non-Jewish, he would have been one of those guys. Um, the operation was called Paperclip. Oh, and that's what we're talking about, Paperclip. Operation Paperclip was the recruitment of German doctors and scientists who were experts in a wide array of sciences ranging from rocketry to torture. Okay, I guess I didn't need to say all that. Contrary to false history and propaganda, Joseph Mengele was indeed among one of the doctors recruited under Paperclip. 
Several programs were started which focused on the effects of drugs for interrogation purposes. The United States Navy started Project Chatter in 1947 and focused on identifying and testing the use of drugs on human and animal subjects. Under control of the intelligence divisions of the Army, Air Force, Navy, and FBI was another operation called Project Artichoke. Project Artichoke focused on the use of hypnosis, forced morphine addiction, and the use of other chemicals and methods. This is all disclosed by the United States government. Project Artichoke was renamed MKUltra, which initially began human experimentation on CIA employees. Uh, there's a very good documentary on that on Netflix um, about the CIA operative who threw himself off of a like a, a building. I think it was in New York City. Um, and it was claimed that he uh, had committed suicide, but he wasn't. He, he was turned into... Uh, a drug addict. Um, my, he was part of the mind control experimentation and he was an actual CIA employee. Uh, military personnel were also involved, but soon began to include prostitutes, the mentally ill and abducted American and Canadian citizens. Operation Midnight Climax was a project operating under the banner of MK Ultra, which consisted of, of a web of CIA run safe houses in San Francisco Marin, California, and New York. It's also very well known. Prostitutes on the CIA payroll were paid to lure clients to these safe houses, where the men would be drugged and monitored behind one-way glass. This method of human experimentation was desired because the victims, when released, would be too embarrassed to disclose the events, especially back then. In 1973, CIA Director Richard Helms ordered the destruction of old documents pertaining to MKUltra. Due to the destruction of these records, it is difficult or impossible to perform additional research into MKUltra or the 150 individually funded sub-projects that operate under the MKUltra banner. Um, another, uh, I got I should know it because I, I bought it through Audible not that long ago. Um, it's a book about um, Charles Manson. Uh, uh, I'll look it up before we go. But... Um, this guy did this incredible investigative research over the course of like 20 years. Someone not at all interested in things like this. He used to write for like Vanity Fair and like uh, Rolling Stone and stuff. And he was asked to do uh, a kind of like a short story. He was a freelance journalist at the time about uh, it was like the 20th anniversary of the Manson slangs. And he just got lost on this journey um, that brought him to incredibly dark places um, and very, very interesting ones. Um, before we're done here, I'll look that up because it's something almost impossible to believe, but you you have to, you're forced to because of the reality of it. In 1974, the New York Times reported uh, the CIA conducted illegal domestic activities, including experiments on U.S. citizens, which po prompted Congress to intervene and conduct investigations. The Church Committee and a Rockefeller Commission both released reports in 1975 that revealed that the CIA and the DOD conducted experiments on citizens without their consent. The Church Committee concluded that prior consent was obviously not obtained from any of the subject. How could MKUltra mind control not have 
even been considered in the case of Jonestown since cults are breeding grounds for brainwashing and the fact that Jones used CIA MK Ultra torture techniques to the letter. Did Jim Jones have the manual or was he himself an operative? All indications identify Jim Jones as both a programmer and an MK Ultra Manchurian candidate. The controlled mass media have created a myth, the legend of Jonestown. Carved out of the jungles of Guyana on the northeast coast of South America, a fanatical group of followers of the Reverend Jim Jones were led to the jungles of South America to get away from the oppression of life in America. Reports that Jones followers willingly followed their leader in a revolutionary mass suicide by sipping purple Kool-Aid-laced cyanide cocktails, another myth that has become a part of the pop culture. He wrote that weird. Drink the Kool-Aid. Jonestown has been inexorably linked to that infamous false phrase. The Kool-Aid pop culture application is actually a huge deception. It is time to smash the myth and expose the immutable facts of a black op cover-up at Jonestown. U.S. Army spokesman quickly announced no autopsies were needed, stating that the cause of death was not an issue in the case. That, that right away is bizarre. Um, and that even makes it into some of the, like the standard literature. Like That should immediately send up warning bells. Despite the black op cover-up, Dr. C. Leslie Mutu, the top Guyanese pathologist who examined the bodies, found fresh needle marks at the back of the left shoulder blades on 80 to 90% of the victims. Others were strangled or shot. Of course, this did not make the evening news. A surviving witness, which there are very few of, stated that resistors were forced by armed guards to comply. Many were shot. Dr. Mutu's opinion and that of the Guyanese grand jury investigating Jonestown was that all but three were murdered by persons unknown. Of these three, only two of which were suicides. There is more, much more. On November 18, 1978, it was reported that 913 people committed suicide in Jonestown. The suicide hoax is merely the beginning of the deception to cover up the MK Ultra mind control black operation. The original death count was 408. Keep in mind that um, through the early to mid to late 60s, MKUltra was running wild through Vietnam. Um, there are hundreds of GIs that have stories about this of like, um, I mean, missing huge amounts of time, having bizarre nightmares of having um, you know, murdered like dozens of uh, people like behind enemy lines, sometimes um, having memories of murdering other GIs. Uh, this It's crazy when you start getting into this. Um, the original death count was 408. And there's then it was later reported that 913 people had died. Initial reports noted that an additional 700 fled into the jungle. Soon after... The final death toll was changed to 913. So it jumps from 408 to 913. That's a hell of a lot of bodies. Note, noting the large error was due to bodies being stacked on top of one another. And you can find these pictures all over. Um, of the 150 photos taken of the massacre, not one shows anybody lying under any others. Those who first worked on the bodies to release uh, had to release the gases of decay, punctured the dead make it unli unlikely that they missed anyone. How could 408 bodies, 82 of them children, 
cover 505 others. That's tough math there. With little exception, pictures show the dead in neat rows face down. The pictures also expose drag marks leading to the bodies, indicating that victims were murdered elsewhere and placed there after death. These facts have led to a more likely conclusion. 408 was indeed the correct original body count. The other 505 were hunted down and slaughtered, then dragged back. But by who? And why were American officials giving such deceptive answers about Jonestown? Isn't that interesting? That's still 50 years later we're getting this. Why the deception on everything? Uh, like more like 43 years later, but you know. Uh, because Jim Jones, an enig enigmatic, Bible-thumping, charlatan faith healer who, according to his landlady, used a Bible instead of a gun, had deep ties to the CIA. The evidence of this is overwhelming. The CIA connection begins with Jones' childhood friend, Dan Mitrioni, who was the local police chief in the early days of Jones' ministry in Indianapolis, Indiana. Mitrioni later entered the International Police Academy, a CIA front for training and torture and counterinsurgency techniques that were later used at Jonestown. In 1961, despite being broke, Jones somehow found the funds to travel to Brazil. Wouldn't you know that Dan Mitrioni was there as well, practicing his CIA torture and assassination training on kidnapped beggars. Mitrioni was himself later kidnapped and murdered by guerrillas in Uruguay, which is a little bit to the south. Um, but, you know, it's in South America. Uh, uh, Brazil is kind of in between Guyana and Uruguay. But you get the point. Jim Jones went to live in Brazil with his wife and made several visits to the city of Belo Horizonte, where the CIA's Brazilian headquarters was located and where Dan Mitrioni resided. During this time, Jim Jones adopted as, 100 and f as many as 150 foster children. Most were actually sent to the People's Temple by court order. Many of these children were horribly abused and traumatized in sadistic CIA mind control experiments. As mentioned, the temple had strong associations with World Vision and a mercenary rebel army backed by the CIA called UNITA, UNITA. If you haven't connected all the dots yet, don't worry. There are many more links exposing the truth about Jim Jones. He was involved in the U.S. Office of Naval Intelligence. The U.S. Embassy even provided him with transportation, groceries, and a large home. He was an asset, an operative. His close friendship with Mitrioni and the CIA's funding of ministries in Latin America amplifies the fact that Jim Jones was an obvious U.S. intelligent asset as early as 1961. According to a neighbor at that time, Jones had no money but lived like a rich man. Soon after the JFK assassination, Jones returned to the States with $10,000. Where did Jones, a broke pastor, get these funds? And keep in mind, $10,000 doesn't sound like that much, but back then you could damn near buy a house for that. As a matter of fact, you could buy a nice house with $10,000. Money had a much, much higher, stronger value than it does today. Um, where did Jones, a broke pastor, get these funds? Evidence leads to the CIA Skull and Bones Brotherhood, the Brotherhood of Death. 
I think he might have just slipped that one in. I don't want to fall for the hook, line, and sinker, but so far, so good. Despite his ultra-right-wing background, Jones suddenly declared himself a liberal socialist and called himself a reincarnation of both Jesus Christ and Lenin. One of the survivors came out, it was like 10 years ago, and um, Jones actually told them when they were younger uh, that he would be anyone that you wanted him to be, any reincarnated person. Um, And this person, which this links closely into, as a matter of fact, I could probably read it to you, um, it's from an, a, the Atlantic piece. Uh, God, it, it's fascinating because it totally fits right in. Um, but it, it totally fits in with mind control. It, um, the person said you would actually before long believe that's actually what he was like, whoever it was that you wanted, if it was Jesus Christ, if it was Gandhi, um, yeah, here it is. Um, this is in the Atlantic from 2011. He said he was Gandhi. Buddha, Lenin, Jesus. He said he was the coming back of anybody you'd ever want to come back. And we believed him. So, you know, so uh, for people to follow this man shows how easily they can be manipulated. Sadly, much social control has been applied to our world in both politics and pop culture. The insanity is that the Reverend Jim Jones would be considered a hero today by most liberals for his New Age utopian philosophies and desire to homogenize society, erasing the barriers of race and sexual orientation. Again, that sounds like something that was way left of center, um, like unthinkably left. 40 years ago. Now, it's like that's exactly what they're pushing for still. He would be seen as a hero if not for the dark truth behind the lie. Like with all liberal issues, the veneer is quite different than the results. The devil is in the details. Jim Jones took everything he could from his liberal multiracial followers, but most of them were black. Um, the vast majority were black. He fleeced them good from their welfare and social security checks to properties and bank accounts, using extortion, blackmail, torture, and psychological warfare to shear his flock of their assets and worldly possessions for the perceived betterment of all in the collectivist utopian society created by Jones. By 1965, Jones had formed the first People's Temple in Ukiah, California. He also set up Happy Haven's Rest Home, which was also a front for MK Ultra experiments. Then that's exactly how they would set him up. His totalitarian socialism was eagerly, eagerly endorsed by the elite, but a cloud of suspicion began to gather around the People's Temple, a church that was staffed by jack-booted Nazi-esque armed thugs dressed in black SS-styled uniforms started raising some eyebrows. Without proper licensing or trained personnel, Jones drew in prisoners, the elderly, people from mental institutions. Of course, he was not arrested. Rather, he himself was fostered by the CIA. Among those who contacted Jones were missionaries from World Vision, an international evangelical order that was a front group for the CIA. Jones' advisors included a mercenary from uh, UNITA, the CIA-backed Angola Army. Um, The CIA was heavily involved all throughout the world, but mostly um like in sub-saharan africa there was like this constant like hot cold war um 
there. That was like the the new frontier for Russia and the United States, the West. So they were forming these bizarro uh, militia units that were just armed killers, had no allegiance to any country. And now we're really left with what we have in Africa now, which, I mean, for many reasons, it's a mess. But that's part of the reason. Um, There was bizarre countries like Rhodesia, which is modern-day Zimbabwe, uh, was totally controlled by one man, Cecil Rhodes. Um, but as time went by, it became a param- like totally dominated by a very small um, like army of like. But wait, there's more. So my recording just stopped after half an hour. So I'm gonna try to tidy this up. Um, so. Um, I left off with Rhodesia. Okay, so um, family of UC Berkeley chemist Dr. Lawrence Laird Layton were also involved. Dr. Layton had worked on the Manhattan Project. Dr. Layton was also chief of the Army's Chemical Warfare Division in the early 50s, where the seeds of Project Artichoke and MK Ultra were sown. Dr. Layton's wife was the daughter of Hugo Phillips, a German banker and stockbroker who became filthy ripped rich representing notorious Nazi war profiters, Siemens and Halski and IG Farben. The local press reported several mysterious deaths of those attempting to leave the church due to conflicts with Jones. This was followed by increasing accusations of beating, sexual abuse, and kidnappings that led Jones to move to San Francisco, where he became an important fundraiser for the Bay Area politicos, which is bizarre and mimics... Um, some of the stuff going on in chaos, the book Chaos, about Manson. San Francisco is also a hub for clandestine CIA operations like Operation Climax and other MK Ultra experiments. That's true. Soon after arriving in San Francisco, Jones was hobnobbing with the liberal and radical elite, meeting with the likes of First Lady Rosalind Carter and communist radical Angela Davis, who was very dangerous. Um, in true New World Order crony establishment fashion, Jones was put in charge of the San Francisco Housing Commission. Key followers were also awarded jobs in the Welfare Department. Now, this comes on the heels of someone who has, you know, very openly been accused by multiple people of, of felony assault, um, you know, beating people, torturing people, kidnapping people. And and now he's hobnobbing with the elites of San Francisco, fundraising for them, uh, in charge of the San Francisco Housing Commission. I, I mean, as with all totalitarian socialist movements, the money never gets to the people who the leaders claim to be helping, but rather greedily line their own pa- pockets. What happened in Jonestown in 1978 should serve as a lesson to those who would follow and an icon or ideology that seeks a utopian world of fairness, equality, peace, love, and freedom in a world controlled by subjective forces of the global elite, preaching these very same gospels while delivering chaos, hate, and slavery promulgated by their powerful influence. Um, Because I got cut off the last half of this, I'm not sure if I talked about the book Chaos, about the Manson family. Um, Forgive me, I... I'm getting tired here, kind of sleepy. So, um, But that is a book you should certainly look up. 
uh, Jones' flock consisted mainly of poor, unemployed, and dispossessed people who found in Jones an Obama-esque icon of hope and change, but that's true. Furthering CIMK ultra ties, many members recruited directly from San Francisco mental hospitals, and the move to San Francisco did little to quiet the controversy surrounding the People's Temple. A 1977 expose on the beatings, fleecings, and totalitarian goings-on at the Temple's uh, People's Temple forced Reverend Jim Jones to seek a safe haven. With aid from the U.S. Embassy, Jones moved his utopia to Guyana, where followers slaved in the field for up to 18 hours a day, sustained by meager concentration camp rations. So he is being accused of, again, beatings, kidnappings, uh, a totalitarian regime in San Francisco, and he gets helped by the U.S. Embassy to move them down to Guyana. After receiving complaints lodged by relatives of cult members, Congressman Leo Ryan visited Jonestown on November 18, 1978, to investigate allegations of human rights abuses. My research has uncovered that it wasn't Jones who initiated the genocide in Guyana, but the CIA. This is where it gets really dark. On Jim Jones' infamous death tape, which you can find, aside from revealing that the People's Temple were a communist cult, not surprisingly, Jones also revealed a clue when he mentioned they would parachute in and slaughter them all if they didn't kill themselves. It's, it's a very bizarre reference in there. Um, you know, kind of wink, wink, CIA or whoever. A revolutionary suicide would be more merciful as well as make a strong political statement. The quiet ending of the tape gives the impression that all were dead, but they weren't. Only a small group were with Jones at the pavilion, which was like this huge facade, like really nice area that they would film their little weirdo movies in. Um, while the rest of the camp was just squalid. Um, most who truly feared, feared for their lives fled into the jungle. Considering the forensic evidence, it appears they, the CIA perhaps, did indeed show up. The survivors who fled into the jungle were hunted down and rounded up by, I, this guy says 300 Green Beret forces, um, 100, 100 of them were MK Ultra mind control assassins. I don't know if I want to go that deep into the weeds, but whatever. The survivors who wished to live were killed. Most were forcibly injected poison between their shoulder blades. Some were shot, as was Jones. Some were strangled. It's key to remember Jones was shot. He didn't drink his Kool-Aid. The entire crime scene was staged more than a week before any media were allowed access. There is certainly more than meets the eye at Jonestown. In 1977, the previously mentioned Church Commission uncovered the many heinous and sadistic clandestine operations executed by the CIA, such as Project MKUltra. Congressman Ryan, who was a noted CIA critic, authored the Hughes-Ryan Amendment, which if it passed, would have required the CIA to disclose to Congress in advance details of all covert operations. That would never stand. The State Department offered Ryan no answers or assistance despite numerous inquiries and pleas. And the media is very vocal about this. He arrived with U.S. Embassy official Richard Dwyer, as well as some journalists Ryan already suspected um, what was going on at Jonestown. Uh, after his suspicions were validated, validated, all hell broke loose and he was assassinated, shot more than 40 times at the airstrip. Definite overkill. Leo Ryan was the first congressman assassinated in U.S. history, along with the four reporters. The Hughes-Ryan Amendment was killed in Congress soon afterwards. 
how convenient for the CIA and the shadow government. Witnesses describe the assassins as mechanical walking zombies devoid of any emotion. The massacre at Jonestown began soon after the shootings at the airstrip. A very plausible explanation for the killings was that Jim Jones, or someone, ordered the murders after Ryan's visit threatened to expose what was happening. In the chaos that followed, a mass extermination was carried out. Who were these zombie assassins? Well, besides the 913 dead, 167 survivors returned from the camp. News reports confirmed that there were at least 1,100 individuals at the camp. Who were the 200 or more people that are unaccounted for? Survivors report that there was a special all-white group that was well-armed, well-treated, and free to exit the compound. You can see these in the videos, the, the films that they self-shot. Uh, these guys are very, very clear to see. These guards were never accounted for on any news reports. Perhaps it is these same guards a congressional aide referred to in an Associated Press article which stated there are 120 white brainwashed assassins out from Jonestown awaiting the trigger word to pick up their hit. That's a weird thing to tell the Associated Press. Of course, they had help. Um, there, uh, evidently, there was 300 um, U.S. Green Berets trained for CIA covert assassinations in the area and another 600 British Black Watch commandos who were also in the area doing... Um, training exer exercises that strangely simultaneously mirrored the actual real world events you know and the killings didn't stop in guyana this is where it gets really dark nine days later san francisco mayor george muscone and supervisor harvey milk were slain by dan white who is labeled disgruntled and being angry about gays these explanations were supposed to explain dan white's utterly irrational behavior during the shootings he certainly blew a microchip and was described as being in a bizarre zombie state. Coincidence? I think not. During Dan White's trial, his lawyers came up with the lame-ass Twinkie defense. This is true, and that's where another not-as-popular um, kind of phrase um, has come from, the Twinkie defense. So I knocked out two of those in one show. I hope you guys like that two-for-one. Uh, in which they claimed White went insane during a sugar-induced high from eating too many sweets. When you know it, Muscone and Milk received substantial fi financial backing from Jim Jones during his stay in San Francisco. In fact, both Harvey Milk and Mayor Muscone were investigating connection to missing funds from the People's Temple until Dan White, another whack-job lone gunman, took them out. Michael Prokes was a 31-year-old former broadcast journalist who was the temple's main spokesman. In March 1979, Prokes called a press conference in a Modesto motel room, California. After reading and prepared statements, Prokes excused himself, went into the bathroom, closed the door, turned on the faucet, and shot himself in the head with a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver. A note found by the body read, don't accept anyone's analysis or hypothesis that this was the result of despondency over Jonestown. I could live and cope with despondency, nor was it an act of a disturbed or programmed mind in case anyone tries to pass it off as that. That is a bizarre thing to include in the suicide note, I think, the, the programmed part. The fact is that a person can rationally choose to die for reasons that are just, and that's just what I did. If my death doesn't prompt another look at what brought about the end of Jonestown, 
then life wasn't worth living anyway. Much of the first part of Proke's um, press statement exposes the fact that the CIA and FBI were withholding an audio tape of the final hours of the massacre. Immediately after the press conference, Prokes went to the restroom and blew his brains out. This was only the beginning of the carnage after Jonestown. In Georgetown, several more Temple members were killed following the Guyana massacre. The man charged with the murders, Charles Beekman, was an early follower of Jones who had become an adopted son. Beekman was also a Green Beret. Former Temple members Gene and Al Mills were found bound and shot to death at their home. In Detroit, another survivor was killed near his home. Another was involved in a mass murder of school children in Los Angeles. Jim Jones' own suicide also leaves some unanswered questions. His body didn't reveal his tattoos in the photographs. His fingerprints were checked twice. His dental records were not checked. Jones was known to use doubles. As the massacre unfolded, Jones can be heard on a tape recording yelling, Get Dwyer out of here, the U.S. ambassador he came with. Richard Dwyer was later found at the airstrip methodically washing his hands. In 1968, Dwyer was listed in a publication, Who's Who in the CIA? But Dwyer wasn't the only link to the CIA in Guyana. There's also U.S. Ambassador John Burke, another heavy hitter in the intelligence community named Richard McCoy. The U.S. Embassy in Georgetown, which is the capital of Guyana, was also a CIA station. Dan Weber, who was sent to Guyana after the massacre, was also with the CIA. The official attorney for the survivors, Joseph Blatchford, was involved in a scandal involving CIA infiltration of the Peace Corps. Then there is the nearly $2 billion that went missing after the slaughter. At the time, the CIA was linked to a major international money laundering operation headquartered in Italy involving the Vatican and a fascist Masonic lodge known as the P2, or Propaganda Duo. The P2 Masonic Lodge um, was behind the Vatican banking scandal and the murderers of, of banker uh, Roberto Calvi, or Calvi and Pope John Paul I. CIA-linked P2 conducted major operations in Panama, not far from Jonestown. No, it's really close. Um, another connection to Jonestown is World Vision. World Vision was an evangelical front for the CIA who performed espionage work in Southeast Asia during Operation Phoenix, a genocidal project that left more than 40,000 people dead. In Honduras, World Vision maintained a presence at CIA Contra recruiting camps during the war against the Sandinistas, which actually got um, Colonel Oliver Norris in trouble. In Lebanon, the fascist Falange butchered Palestine Palestinians at World Vision's camp. In Cuba, World Vision refugee camps hosted numerous members of the anti-Castro terrorist group Alpha 66. After the Guyana massacre, World Vision developed a scheme to repopulate Jonestown with the CIA-linked mercenaries from Laos. Laos, of course, was where the CIA ran its secret war during Vietnam, that's true, which for the most part was a smokescreen for a widespread opium tra trafficking operation. This helped foment the urban decay of the 1970s. Heroin did become a very serious problem, followed almost perfectly with the crack epidemic. One particular important um, World Vision official was John Hinckley Sr., an oil man, reputed CIA office, officer, and friend of George Bush I. You may have heard of his son, Mark Chapman. Um, both John I think he's talking about John Hinckley Jr. and Mark David Chapman. Um, John Hinckley Jr. shot President Ronald Reagan. 
another member of the World Vision Order gunned down John Lennon, um, which was uh, Mark David Chapman. Coincidence? Hardly. Um, books, phrases, and sounds are used as triggers in MK Ultra mind control program, as in programming, as in the case of Mark David Chapman, who sat down after shooting John Lennon outside the Dakota apartments in New York City and began reading from a copy of the novel Catcher in the Rye. The book was written by J.D. Salinger, who worked in military intelligence with Henry Kissinger during World War II. A first responding police officer at the Dakota was convinced Chapman was a mind-controlled assassin. John Hinckley Jr. also owned a cherished copy. The true purpose of World Vision was to turn Jonestown into another breeding ground for brainwashed assassins like Chapman and Hinckley. Near Jonestown was a place called Hilltown, a compound of 8,000 blacks that followed cult leader Rabbi David Hill. He, like Jim Jones, ruled his flock with an iron fist. Hill had so much power that he was referred to as the Vice Prime Minister of Guyana. There was also another place in, call, in Guyana called Johnstown, as well as similar operations in the Philippines and Chile. It appears that Jonestown and World Vision's later attempt is hardly the exception to the rule of using obscure locations in third world nations as laboratories for covert CIA mind control black ops. The Jonestown site in Guyana was originally a Union carbide mine and was loaded with an abundance of precious natural resources. It is very likely that the site was chosen to exploit these resources with cheap labor, labor and cheap labor was plentiful, about 1,100 people there. Members of Jim Jones Church were bound and gigged immediately after landing Guyana and taken to the compound. They were pumped with drugs, which were interestingly readily available in vast amounts at Jonestown, enough to drug almost 200,000 people for more than a year. Among the drugs found were quaaludes, valium, morphine, demerol, thorazine, sodium pentothal, thallium, which is a, makes you super confused, and of course cyanide, which is what the Kool-Aid was mixed with. Jonestown residents lived in cramped quarters and ate meager rations of often spoiled food. They were then forced to give up to 16 to 18 hours a day of slave labor. When they weren't working, they were required to stay up day and night listening to Jim Jones' lecture. This sounds just like what Charles Manson did. This is the indoctrination of totalitarian socialism. Because um, you guys really got to check out the book Chaos. It's so good. It, um, it would help explain so much of this. So that's ultimately um, where uh, the term drink the Kool-Aid comes from and the Twinkie defense. So, you know, I with Scott Jansen, I think that he was, and Donald Trump has recently come out talking about this. We cannot blindly follow the dictates of people who we openly at least admit to ourselves and fellow patriots are crazy are mad are power hungry are are evil are dangerous you know and we just we can't, we can't, we have to stop we have to draw a line in the sand and you know if we were at Jonestown would you drink the Kool-Aid I'm scared that 30 or 40 or 50% of our, the population would. They would follow their Buddha figure, their Jesus Christ filler, uh, figure, the maniacal, twisted father figure 
who is raping and beating and abusing them. I'm not. I'm done even thinking about drinking the Kool-Aid to go, you know, just to go along to get along. And I hope you guys are too. So this was rather dark. Um, tomorrow I'll get back to some lighter stuff, talking about stolen elections and what we're doing to take back our country. Um, but until then, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of whatever you're doing today. And um, I will be talking with you soon. <laughs> I hope that helped answer some questions. Maybe opened up your mind to some more, but uh, it's a fascinating time in our history. A sphincter says what? <laughs>